We're going we're to walk through the narrative of Jesus with Lazarus and the raising of Lazarus and how it foreshadowed his statement that I am the resurrection and the life. And he's going to ask a question to Martha. And that question will be asked throughout this passage. Do you believe this? And Pastor Matthew asked you that question at the opening part of this service. Do you believe that Jesus is the res resurrection and the life? Well, let's walk through this. We're going to enjoy watching Jesus do one of the greatest and his final miracles, by the way. We're going to, we're going to watch him do one of his greatest miracles of all, his ministry. And we're going to begin at the end. In verse 26, John 11. And he does ask Martha, do you believe this? Friends, do you know why John wrote his gospel? He clearly, very clearly tells us why he wrote it. He said this, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. You see that? Here we go again, that belief. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And we've got an event that we're looking at, and we're about to see that it's going to serve that very purpose, that we would believe and have eternal life. So here's my question for you as we get going. Do you believe that Jesus died on that cross for you? Amen. Now, I didn't ask if you believe that Jesus lived. I didn't ask if you believed even that he was the son of God. I'm asking, do you believe that Jesus died on that cross for you and that he was the and is the son of God and that he was in that, that grave for three days and he rose out of that grave so that you and I might live again? Do you believe that? critical that you do. Now listen, even though this isn't in our text, this is so important. Listen to this from Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Listen to this language. It is the gift of God. You hear that? It is a gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. God will never say to you, he'll never say to me, I will save you because you're a good person or because you did enough things at church or because a clergy somewhere told you that you're a good person. He will never, ever save you on account of that. You know, I was at the bank this past Thursday and I was waiting in line and I overheard a teller saying to a lady whose business was growing and they were talking about the deposits that she's making. And the teller said to the lady these words, your prayers are being answered. You must be doing a lot of good lately. I wanted to ask that teller, if I promise, if I promise to be really good for a few months, will you wipe out my mortgage? Will you give me a million dollars? Because that's really what she was saying. But you cannot earn a gift, not in a bank, not in salvation. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. It is by grace, undeserved, unearned, it's a gift. By trusting and through trusting your eternal life to Christ. So over and over, Jesus keeps saying, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, John 3, 36. 
And he says, he's going to say to Martha, Martha, I'm going to do something that will help you. It will help my disciples. It's going to help countless people who hear about this and read about this. They're going to believe me and they're going to trust me and they're going to receive for free the gift of eternal life. So here we go. John chapter 11. Jesus is in Judea. It's about two, two days walk north of Jerusalem. It's across the Jordan. It's where he was baptized by John. And he's in that region. And look what it says in verse 5. He receives a message, rather, before that, he received a message from Martha and Mary that their brother Lazarus was ill. Look at verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus, who was their brother. Look at verse 11. He called Lazarus a friend. Did you know that Jesus had close and abiding friendships? He called people friends. And he loved them. And he assured the disciples, so they get this message that Lazarus was ill, that seriously ill. And he assures the disciples, look at verse 4, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Something in Lazarus's illness is going to bring glory to Jesus. He gets this message and look at verse 6. Does this sound like love? He stayed two days longer in the place where he was up in Judea. He, stayed, he delays. Lazarus is ill. They sent him the message, meaning, Jesus, we need you. Lazarus is not doing well, and Jesus gets it, says something's about to happen that's going to bring me glory, and then he delays for two days. And later he tells his disciples, look at verse 14, Lazarus has died. He was ill, but now he's died. Let us go to him. Why? Why the delay? Well, verse 15 tells us, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. Why? Here it is again. So that you may believe. It's all through this chapter. We've got to believe. You've got to trust that Jesus died on that cross, that Jesus came through that grave, was raised back to life, proving that he is the Son of God, proving that he has mastery over death. You've got to believe in that if you're going to live. I'm going to show you who I am, Jesus is saying, so that you might believe and trust in who I really am. Remember? Do you remember why John wrote his gospel? That we might believe and have life? Well, here they go. They go to Bethany. They go to Bethany, which John says in verse 18, look what it says. It's two miles above Jerusalem. Two miles outside of Jerusalem. And by then, look at verse 17. Lazarus had been already been in the tomb for days. You know, today in the Muslim world and much of it, just like it was in the first century when this occurred in, in the life of Jesus, they buried their dead the same day. It's so hot in that climate, decomposition sets in so quickly. It's within 24 hours that a dead person is put in the grave. And Lazarus died, certainly buried that day. He's in a tomb. 
cut out of limestone cliffs that are common in that region. And look at verse 39. Again, John wants you to know, he wants me to know, he's been buried four days. And there's a reason that John is underscoring this. There's a reason that he wants us to know that Jesus has been in that tomb for four days. You know, there's a Jewish superstition at that time. Listen to this, this Jewish superstition that I'm about to tell you about endured until almost 150 years ago. That's how long they believed this superstition. That when a person died, this is what they believed, the soul of that person hovered over the body for three days looking to re-enter it. And not until decomposition sets in. One rabbi said, not until, de until decomposing um, process alters the face. That's what they would say. When decomposition sets in, then they declared the person irreversibly dead. <coughs> you know what happened to Carlos Cameo of Venezuela can explain the superstition of the soul's re-entrance. Carlos was declared dead just a few years ago. He was in a car accident in 2007. And when they performed the autopsy, blood began pumping out of the incision. They quickly sewed it up. They knew blood's not going to pump unless the heart's still beating. And he, he regained uh, consciousness shortly after that. And when his wife coming to the morgue to identify him, instead found him waiting in the corridor. That's a true story. History is full, full of these occurrences. Makes you kind of scared to die, doesn't it? <laughs> you thought you were going to come and hear an uplifting sermon. <laughs> there are stories of people being carried on the shoulders of the pallbearers to the gravesite when they heard knocking from within the casket. They put the casket down, take the lid off, and the person is alive. There are stories that are documented throughout history like this. So this superstition begins to develop that if that person seems dead for a century, they don't have stethoscopes. They don't have the medical equipment to be able to determine medically a person is dead, and a person would die, they would think, and then recover. Thus, the superstition, three days the soul looks to come back into the body, and Jesus didn't believe the superstition. But because the Jews did, and his goal was that many would believe in him, that he is the resurrection and the life, he delayed so that there was no possibility of them discounting this miracle he was about to perform. So look at verse 21. Martha meets Jesus outside the village. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's not an accusation. This is regret. For she knew that Jesus could have healed her brother. But she's clinging to the hope that Jesus would pray. Yet I know that if you ask anything of God, we would give it. Just pray and bring comfort to us. And God will bring that comfort. You might be thinking, well, maybe she had faith that Jesus would have raised her brother. If you keep reading, you'll see that faith was not in her. Not until the last day, because Jesus says, verse 23, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know, and what she's referring to is what the Jewish people believe, that all people are going to rise at the end of the day. They're going to rise to judgment, some to life, and some to eternal death. See, she needs to believe. 
Do you believe this is what Jesus is about to say? He says, Martha, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Verse 25, verse 23, your brother is going to rise again. I, he's saying, I am the one. I am the one who will defeat death. I will break the hold of the grave on humanity. I am the one who will give life, eternal life. Life that starts right here, Martha, and continues forever. And I'm about to prove that to you. I'm going to prove it to my disciples, and I'm going to prove it to all of those who gather around to witness. And in verse 25, whoever believes in me, there we go again. You've got to believe. Well, if you believe in me, that though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You ever walk through the gospel and see this pattern? Now listen, you got to hear this. It'll open your eyes in a new way when you read the gospels of Jesus Christ. Whenever Jesus would preach, you watch. Go through Mark and you'll see it over and over. The gospel according to Mark. Whenever he would preach and whenever he would declare a truth, he would do something afterwards to confirm it. He would do something to confirm that what I just said is true. I just made a claim. I am the resurrection and the life. I hold the power of raising people from the grave. I hold the power of giving them eternal life. Let me prove it to you. So they go to the tomb. Mary now joins them, and look at what it says. A lot of Jews come out and join them as well, verse 18. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, now listen to this, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. What's that mean? You want to know something? I wish our English translation did a little bit better on this. Because deeply moved means to be outraged. It was a word that was used when a horse would snort when it was agitated. He is snorting out his outrage. You've done it. I've done it. When you respond immediately to something and it comes out in irritation or it comes out in anger, Jesus was enraged according to this. And some people have speculated that he's angry because he's feeling forced into one of his most spectacular miracles, but raising Lazarus from the dead is why he came to Bethany to begin with. He already told the disciples he was going to do this. When someone said, well, he's so full of grief, look at verse 35, he wept. He's full of grief that his friend died, and so he's angry that he's grieving over the loss of his friend. But listen, friends, he's about to raise him from the dead. See, the source of his irritation, the source of his angry sorrow is shown to us in verses 33 and 35. When Jesus saw her weeping, here's a hint, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He wept. Well, listen, he wept because death is an outrage to Jesus. He doesn't delight in the death of anybody. It's contrary to his very design and creation. It's contrary to his very being. He is an eternal God. And sin thre 
fractured that design in the Garden of Eden. It ushered in death. And Jesus came to break the power of death and to bring life. Listen, you want to know how Jesus feels when any of your family members or loved ones dies? Here's how he feels. It outrages him. And he's going to break the power of death. He's going to atone for our sin. And the way that he's going to do that, here we go. It's going to blow your mind. He's going to die for us. He would die for us, Paul wrote. Listen, for our sake, the Father made the Son to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in the Son we might become the righteousness of God. The Holy Son of God became sin for us. All of our sin, past, present, future, laid upon Him the way the priest would lay His hand upon the head of that sheep right before they sacrificed the transmitting the sins of that father and his family onto now the scapegoat, onto the one who would die for that family. I mean, can't you imagine the father when Jesus was on that cross, beginning at noon, laying his hand upon the head of his son, figuratively, metaphorically, spiritually, and beginning to transmit all of your sins, all of my sins, right onto the head of Jesus, the Lamb of God. So that he could then begin taking the righteousness of Jesus and putting it over onto those who believe. Do you believe this? If you believe this... Then all of your sin, past, present, future, all of the condemnation, all of the shame is, has been put onto Christ nearly 2,000 years ago. And all of his righteousness, all of his blessings have been put on to you the very moment you believe. See, the raising of Lazarus, friends, was a demonstration of God's plan to put death to death. Death will not have the last word. Jesus, the Son of God, will. Look at verse 43 to see that last word. He cried out with a loud voice. Why a loud voice? Did Lazarus need to hear, especially loudly, the power of the Son of God? Not hardly. This is for all of those, many, many of them gathered around. He cries out with a loud voice. He's going to cry out with a loud voice from the cross. Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. How did he do this? He did it because I am the resurrection, I am the life, he declared. I am the Son of God who holds the power over the grave, and I can give you eternal life. But Martha, disciples, look at your text. All of you standing around, everybody here at Cornerstone, you've got to believe if you want that life. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, in Kenya, Africa, an eight-year-old named Monica fell into a pit. She broke her leg. True story. An elderly lady named Mama Jerry heard her cries, climbed down into the pit 
and in trying to rescue Monica, they both got bitten by a black mamba. The rescuers came, they were able to get Monica to the local medical center. Mama Jerry went home, she fell asleep, she never woke up. They later began to understand what had happened. See, the snake had bit Mama Jerry first. And then after that, bit Monica. And there happened to be in Monica's room, in that medical center, a Christian missionary nurse. And when Monica explained what had happened, the nurse said, Listen, Monica, this is exactly what happened to Jesus Christ. This, this is why you can have life. This is why you can be saved. Because that black mamba expended all of its poison into Mama Jerry. And when it bit you, there was nothing left. And she said, you're going to die one day. We're all going to die one day. But death bit Jesus and expended all of his poison in him. His father raised him from the grave. It has no more power over you. See, Jesus took the full poison of sin into his body on the cross. He died. He was buried for three days. He was raised back to life. Friends, listen, rejoice, because the grave could not hold him. Christ is the sovereign son of God. He's the antidote to death. He is the resurrection and the life. Listen, if you turn to Jesus and believe, don't believe the bank teller. Don't believe the bank teller. Don't believe a priest or a pastor or any clergy that tells you just do good and the Father will forgive you. There is no power in that. Believe Christ. Believe the Father who sent his Son to this world to die. And Jesus who said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. Your good works, your right, your, your church attendance, their, their good intentions, they cannot secure you. Salvation, the sting of death will bite you. You will rise to eternal death. The only antidote is Jesus who took the full poison upon his body and offers you life. Let me ask you what Jesus asked Martha, what he was doing for the disciples, what he was doing for that crowd. Listen, do you believe this? If you believe this, this, then this is the most spectacular day of the year in your life. Except for the day that you were saved. If you do not believe this, can I encourage you? Put your faith in Jesus. Believe in him. That he can forgive you of your sins. He will put them onto Christ. And he will take the righteousness of Christ and he will put it on you. And you will rise one day from death to see his face of welcoming joy. And he would tell you, I've been waiting to be with you. I've been waiting to be with you. Come into eternal life. Do you believe this? You must. 